0: Welcome to the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking the on Shilling the Patreon show podcast. At the podcast. to Dan Lyman, to make editor a monthly in chief at Borderhawk News, we a for Info Wars, And today's topic domestic and international immigration updates. And Dan Lyman, welcome to the Shilling Show Unleashed. Always good to be with you, Rob. Thank you. All right, you've got something very big to announce, so let's start off there.
1: Sure. Definitely. Uh, you know, I, obviously I represent border Hawk news. Um, we cover immigration issues and, uh, a couple of months ago we shot a a segment for a new documentary that is actually coming out tonight uh, on Thursday. I believe it comes out at 7 PM Eastern time. It's called American mirage. It was, um, produced by Lauren Southern and it's about the, the border crisis, the U S border crisis. And what's incredible is, uh, you know, she shot a lot of the footage over the past six months, but Uh, It's never been more relevant because every day the situation down there gets worse. So uh, we covered a lot of different issues. But one of the main ones we uh, attacked was, uh, of course, we sent a reporter down to the border about six months ago, and they discovered a lot of uh, indicators that the United Nations is uh, at least partially, if not. Uh, significantly responsible for the crisis at the border and for for fueling that for funding that for promoting it and we we uncovered a lot of materials down there that indicated that so we went into that in depth for this documentary so you'll probably see that covered Um, but yes it will be launching tonight i'm told And uh, we will certainly be promoting it uh, on the Borderhawk Twitter, the Borderhawk website. And then, of course, you could find out more information through Lauren Southern. She's a very well-known documentarian, reporter, author. And so uh, keep an eye out for that tonight. And I believe it will be streaming for free on YouTube. And uh, it's an excellent production. I've seen the the trailer, and it looks like it's going to be really interesting, especially for anyone Who's interested in what's going on at the border.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic news. I want to go to some personal observations you have because you were living overseas and we talked a couple times when you were there. You're back in the United States. What are you seeing and hearing regarding immigration?
1: Yeah, you know, I have been living overseas uh, for about six years. And so my kind of handle of what's going on on the ground in the United States, so to speak, was limited because uh, anytime I was back, you know, it's kind of more to see friends and family and was always a bit of a whirlwind. So I wasn't really tapped into what was going on on the ground beyond what I read in the news and maybe what family members or friends were telling me offhand. But now that I've been in the United States for about six months now and have traveled a good portion of it by car, have driven around about half of the country at this point, uh, I've had an opportunity to kind of see what's going on here and how things are changing or to speak to people who are who are really being impacted for the better or for the worse uh, by immigration, the immigration situation in the U.S. So one of my first exposures, I think we spoke about this last time, but I had to buy a new car and actually had to fly from New York to Iowa to get it. And I had an opportunity to uh, see what's going on in Iowa. And of course, Iowa flies under the radar for most people, except when uh, the presidential, (laughs) the caucus comes around, and everybody's paying attention to what's going to happen there. But otherwise, people are not talking about Iowa too much. And I'm guessing that if uh, most folks who aren't paying attention to Iowa had to picture what Iowa's like, they would picture, of course, the cornfields and, you know, cornbread uh, Midwestern folk in Iowa working their crops, that sort of thing, very uh, stereotypical stuff. But what I found is that uh, it's it's not really so much like that anymore. I ended up in kind of an off-the-beaten-path city in Iowa that was formerly, uh, uh, I guess, a farming town, industrial town, And learned that uh, this town is absolutely overrun with migrants from around the world, uh, many of whom are being brought in to actually work at a meatpacking facility there. I believe it was JBS, which is, of course, uh, the largest meatpacking, meat processing company in the world. I believe they're based out of Brazil. And they have plenty of uh, facilities around the United States. And I learned that th- they have so many uh, migrants that are either coming to this town to work, passing through for other reasons, or just entering through the town is the, uh, the elementary schools and the, uh, sorry, the public schools there in general are just totally overwhelmed with foreigners where they have more services catering to foreigners than they do to uh, native students due to the fact that they speak so many different languages. They need so much assistance and uh, that has driven a a crime increase in the town as well. Uh, They have gangs operating in there. They said they've had MS-13 working in that town, uh, passing through there, moving goods through there, and uh, it it was just really shocking to encounter that right off the bat, knowing that uh, the immigration situation has been spiraling out of control in the U.S. for so long, but to find that in a little pocket of Iowa was really eye-opening, and I was able to speak candidly with some of the locals, people who have grown up there for many years, and was able to drive around the town and see how that's playing out there in an otherwise kind of depressed Iowa, Midwestern town. And I saw that across the Midwest as I made my way back to New York, uh, very similar scenes playing out in many of these towns uh, across the Midwest where they maybe have gone through some economic hardships. And a lot of the people there are uh, a bit, a bit beat down, I would say, and they're finding themselves being um, replaced or crowded in by people from around the world. It's really, really shocking stuff. And then just going to the broader picture, um, having spoken to people uh, that that run businesses in in multiple sectors uh, from blue collar to white collar, uh, basically the theme is the same. They are having trouble finding American workers either that want to work at all or can work for the rate that they can afford to pay them and uh, are are resorting to uh, migrant labor. And that uh, is either, you know, through call centers where they're instead of being Ameri- uh, operated by Americans they're operated, for instance, in, you know, in India mm-hmm. or uh, for laborers who are in the country illegally. Don't speak a word of English, but they're the only people, according to who I've spoken to, who either want to work or will work for a reasonable rate or will work um, extra hard. You know, in some in some fields you need to work uh, long hours or you need to be available on certain strange hours and. You know that's what people are telling me, and uh, and I ha- have pushed back on that a little bit and said, you know, if we all go down this road, then you know Americans are just you know, they're not going to have jobs in, in these uh, areas. And uh, um, you know they say, look, this is just how it is, and this is how we have to operate. And it's uh, it's it's a little depressing to hear that. And then also I've spent a lot of time in Florida as well. And uh, for all the good that um, Governor DeSantis is doing there, and I think he's doing a decent job pushing back on the illegal immigration situation, the agenda that's being rolled out by the Biden administration, I am shocked to find what I sense is a very large illegal migrant population in Florida. Uh, I've stayed in areas that would otherwise probably not have had so many, and they're just teeming with illegal migrants uh roaming around the streets or heading off to work, a lot of them. I mean, you can just kind of sense these things when you when you know what to look for when you're in a neighborhood and all of the the signage for, let's say, government assistance or portals to government assistance are all in Spanish and uh, everyone's riding around on bicycles and going off to, uh, you know, to head to Home Depot and get picked up in the parking lot there mm-hmm. for jobs, that sort of thing. You can you can sense it if you know what to look for. And I really was surprised to see that I uh, hadn't seen that before necessarily in other parts of Florida. Of course, Miami a different situation. But, you know, that's that's just what I'm seeing on the ground. And it's been eye opening, like I said, and I think it's uh, it's only going to get worse day by day.
0: Let's talk just another moment about Florida. What would be uh, an effective pushback if Governor DeSantis is doing some things right and I think we all agree that he is? What else is it that he could do legally right now?
1: Obviously that's a touchy situation because every time a state or you know local government moves to enforce immigration rules and you know try to find loopholes and ways that they can do that if Border Patrol or ICE have their hands tied. Of course, they find themselves in court, or they find themselves uh, at at war with the administration, so to speak. So that is difficult. But I, I guess one approach is you know you've seen in Texas, Texas Department of Public Safety, which is you know their state troopers there. They are doing their best to enforce the law and finding ways to you know arrest people for trespassing and take them to court that way. I would think that the Florida State Police probably could could be employed to do that sort of thing. I just think there needs to be zero tolerance, but, uh, you know, it's like they're everywhere. They really are everywhere. And it's, uh, it's a bit difficult if you don't have any support from the immigration authorities at the federal level to kind of keep them out of your state or to, uh, deport them from your state. And we're seeing an incredible surge of uh, illegal migration happening in the Caribbean. So we have, days or weekends where there's five or six enforcements out by the Florida Keys. They're coming by boat from Haiti, from Cuba. Uh, the Coast Guard have their hands full out there. You know, we, we talk about the southern border all the time, but we're not necessarily talking too much about what's going on in the Caribbean and, and what's going on at sea. Well, we're having to f- patrol, you know, vast amounts of, <laughs> of ocean to, to keep people out. And they're coming by you know these crazy boats, and and a lot of these a lot of times these boats don't fare well, and neither do their occupants because they're not meant to be, you know, sailing long distances in choppy seas. So we're we're having to send out huge rescue missions, and there's been some pretty tragic capsizings and and um, a lot of migrants dying at sea, and it, it's reminiscent of the the Mediterranean what we've been seeing in Europe for years here. So you know it's just more chaotic by the day, and resources are definitely stretched in wherever you look.
0: Dan, let's talk about Texas. Let's go to the topic of gotaways. How do we know about gotaways if they got away? Good question.
1: There are known gotaways, and then there are unknown gotaways. And that is something that I don't know if many Americans necessarily think about, or if they know about at all. Border agents and border authorities, they they know they can detect uh, entries that they haven't been able to mitigate themselves. I'll give you one example of that recently there was a, a chase, and uh, I believe they estimated that something like 15 passengers of a, uh, a truck that had been uh, was driven by a smuggler into Texas, that chase ended in a, a crash or a, a bailout. All 15 got away. So that was an instant 15 got away right there. They can also tell when when the border is penetrated by a group or individual and that they don't have enough resources to go mitigate that so they see, you know, using uh, cameras or, or sensors, they say, OK, well, there was a penetration here, but we weren't able to get anyone there because we just simply don't have enough resources. So, uh, for instance, in uh, in West Texas this past weekend, Del Rio sector, they reported that, that they had over sixteen hundred gotaways in a forty eight hour span. And I wanted to give some perspective to the to the listener here. If that went on all year just in one sector. We'd have two hundred and eighty eight thousand known gotaways in that sector. And that doesn't count the unknown gotaways. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are many uh, migrants getting into the United States that are never detected and they simply slip in. And towards the beginning of the Biden administration, when things started getting a lot more crazy uh, after the Trump administration left office, uh, I saw that the Border Patrol officials were estimating that around 1,000 unknown gotaways were getting into the country at that time. Um, and of course, that's just an estimate. And I would imagine they were shooting low, as they typically do when officials talk about these numbers. And so that was before things got as crazy as they are now. So, I mean, we're looking at astonishing numbers of of people entering the country when you add up the official statistics, the official encounters, the the known gotaways and the unknown gotaways. I think personally I've been asked to estimate how many people I think are coming into the country right now. I think it's very, very safe and conservative to say that's well over 300,000 people a month. And I would not be surprised if it was much, much higher than that.
0: You know, speaking of Godaways, there was a story just a couple days ago about an uncovered plot to assassinate George W. Bush, former president. They were going to be sneaking people in over the border. So it really makes you wonder these people may have already gotten into the country.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we know, of course, uh, that there are dozens of known terrorists who have entered the country just in the past year alone. Mayorkas has has admitted that, DHS Secretary Mayorkas, and was asked uh, if we should be concerned about that. And he said, absolutely not. So. It's amazing that they know this. They effectively must know where they are if they're going to try to claim that we shouldn't be worried about that. Uh, You know, that's just what what they'll admit to us. And so these are people with with known ties to terrorist organizations. And that is just who came over the border illegally in the past year or so. That doesn't include, of course, the tens of thousands of Afghans that are being flown into the country or have been since our withdrawal there. And just problems compound and compound. They really boggle the mind when you start letting yourself think about the implications.
0: The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast with Dan Lyman continues in just a moment. Support this podcast online at schillingshow.com. Get your fix Shilling Show Unleashed The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast We continue now with Dan Lyman, editor-in-chief at Borderhawk News We're taking a look at domestic and international immigration issues I saw some uh, video and this was just very disconcerting uh, There's an invasion going on And I think that's an appropriate word in Eagle Pass, Texas Now they're not alone But uh, this was just astounding what's going on there
1: Yeah, absolutely. Eagle Pass seems to be, you know, right at the epicenter of everything going on here. That's down in the Del Rio sector. I believe it's just south of Del Rio, Texas, near Acuna, Mexico. And uh, I know we've spoken about this in the past. We sent a reporter down there uh, about six months ago to the Del Rio area and over the border into Acuna. It was bad then, but it's worse now, for sure. I, I'm sure people are familiar if they've watched a little Fox News. They know Bill Malugin, the re- correspondent there, has done just a absolutely stunning job covering the situation. And he has spent a lot of time in, in Eagle Pass lately. I did a, recently put together an article just to kind of put together his reporting just from the past week alone. It was just amazing to go back and watch every day. It's the same scene. It's, you know, 100 to 200 migrants cross in a group at the same time every day. And that's just, uh, you know, just this organized crossing that goes on while at the same time you have groups, families, uh, just pouring into the, the, the Rio Grande and crossing. And, of course, uh, that's led to a, a lot of drownings lately. We've had a lot of migrant drownings, migrant rescues, children drowning in the river. And so, you know, there must be a, a reasonably safe-ish corridor to get across the Rio Grande and Eagle Pass, which must be the reason they use it there, among other reasons. And and they're just coming across the river all day, every day, stunning footage. Uh, And, you know, obviously it can be a little more dangerous at different times of day, depending on the currents. There was a recent video, they had drone footage of uh, migrants from shore to shore, arms locked to uh, basically get themselves across in a a train, so to speak. And so this is all going on and no one's allowed to stop them, you know, it's just total chaos. And then they come in and virtually all of them are effectively released into the country after that point.
0: Yeah, I saw one picture or one uh, short video that had a helicopter in it, and there was a family with very, very young children. They looked like they were affixing life jackets to the kids in an attempt to take them across this raging river, high winds, high uh, choppy water, and there's nothing they can do about that?
1: It, it really is amazing. You know, I think it was Jorge Ventura, who's another great reporter at the border, was shooting uh, all this uh, this footage over on the Mexican side. Uh, basically, you know, Title 42 and a judge ordered that that remain in place. But it seems like that's not really going to deter a lot of people. So we have thousands and thousands of migrants who have gathered At the border with the intent of crossing after Title 42 was dropped, which was supposed to be May 23rd, if I'm not mistaken, a judge ordered that that remain in place. So many of them have said, well, uh, doesn't matter. We're just going to go across anyways. So, yeah, you have these really disturbing situations where kids are being strapped up in life jackets and and brought across. And a lot of times they're not making it now because, uh, you know, you have grown adults that aren't making it. They rescued seven grown adults out of the Rio just two nights ago, who attempted to cross. And you know, this is dangerous, of course, for the people who are rescuing them. We just lost a uh, Texas uh, Texas National Guardsman mm-hmm. who dove into the river recently to try to rescue two people who were struggling. They ended up surviving. He didn't, and it turned out that they were drug traffickers. I mean, this is if if, if te- Texas National Guardsmen who are, you know, well, they're fit, they're they're well trained, cannot navigate these waters in some cases, then certainly we can't have uh, very, very small children doing so. And it's proving tragic on many, many occurrences now.
0: The question I have is, where's the outrage from those who express such great concern for humanity, who are welcoming people into this country to violate the laws? And yet they don't seem to pay any attention or make any statements about those who are dying along the way.
1: No, not at all. And it's not just the Rio Grande. We're talking about, you know, one sector of the one little segment of the Rio Grande near Eagle Pass where things are going sideways often. But All the time, there are uh, truckloads, uh, you know, trailers full of migrants who are being, you know, found abandoned on the sides of Mexican highways or who are, uh, you know, being crossed over into Texas and then they're abandoned with the door locked in 100 plus degree heat. Uh, We just had a bus crash the other day in Mexico. Six migrants died and 19. Now it's up to 25 injured in a bus crash in northern Mexico where, where migrants were headed towards the, the U.S. And then, of course, we had that uh, horrific bus crash a month or two ago. Many migrants died in that one uh, or it was a truck crash. Many, many people are dying along the way. It's totally tragic. And we've known that for a long time. And we've been warning about the sexual exploitation of, of women and children that are heading north uh, and then just the dangers in general uh, of all these people who they see the United States as being an opportunity at a better life. And I don't blame them for making the trek, but this is being encouraged by the powers that be. And they have a lot of blood on their
0: hands at this point. They certainly do. And now we have uh, United States teenagers being lured into human trafficking. And I saw some of these ads that are being posted on social media. Uh, Who is being attracted to this and how are they being pitched for it?
1: Well, yes, that has been going on for a while now and it just continues to get worse. So uh, teens on the U.S. side of the border are basically being promoted to uh, on platforms like TikTok, Snapchat. Uh, apparently, the smugglers and cartels are just advertising brazenly to them, you know, get paid good money to, to do a little favor for us. And uh, uh, Jenny Tire, who works with The Daily Caller, she did a great article about this called uh, Smuggler's Paradise, How American Teenagers Are Being Lured into Human Trafficking on Social Media. And she actually interviewed some families who, uh, who their, their children have been lured into this, but this has been going on for a while now. Uh, just a few months ago, I published a story about a, a popular TikToker who actually was in a pursuit, involved in a pursuit with Border Patrol and ended up crashing and dying in the crash. So uh, the, and this, kid, this kid was pretty young, was underage, and was involved in a, in a terrible crash. We had, last week, four teen uh, smugglers were arrested in a couple of stings in Texas, and that was just within a span of a few hours. Someone brought up the point that I saw that it, it did raise a good point. Um, the teens that are being involved in this may very well be the average American teens, but we also don't know how many of them come from migration backgrounds as well and who, who may have come into the country illegally themselves or their parents might have. In a way, they might already have uh, an, an unhealthy view Of the enforcement of our immigration rules, thinking that, you know, no one's really enforcing them or it's not a big deal if if I break them again kind of thing. And so if I get involved in human smuggling, no big deal as long as I get paid well. So uh, we don't know know, what the backgrounds of a lot of these uh, teens that are getting involved in this is uh, if they've been involved in it in their own lives on their way
0: in. How much money are we talking about here? Because some of the things I saw were almost unbelievable amounts of money.
1: Uh, I saw uh, one report that said this uh, teen was paid $3,400 for two trips at, uh, from Phoenix to the border and back in to the interior to transport migrants. So let's say uh, in that case, it would have been approximately 1700 a trip. Let's say uh, if you're 15 – I mean I've seen 14-year-olds involved in this uh, – 15, 16, 19, whatever, that's good money
0: it's a lot of money and then of course they're taking a risk they're taking a a serious physical risk as we talked about earlier but also what do the laws say if someone's caught involved in this and they're underage is it really just a slap on the wrist or do they go after these people
1: it's so hard to say now because we have no idea what's happening to people who enter the country illegally Uh, in terms of the law being enforced against them it's hard to tell what's going on with smugglers It doesn't seem like the law is being enforced too often. You occasionally see, you know, someone get in trouble for smuggling or, you know, a truck driver with a a trailer full of illegals, you know, actually get processed and and put through the court system. But I I honestly don't know. Uh, This is kind of newish territory that we're in here where we have 15-year-olds transporting carloads of illegals around the country for pay from you know, social media ads. So I think we're kind of in new territory. And I really don't know what happens to these teens once they've, uh, they've been arrested and caught doing such things.
0: Is there any self-policing going on, Dan, amongst the social media outlets? I
1: am not aware I don't even use Snapchat or TikTok, so it was amazing to me to see (laughs) that this is just happening on these platforms. I don't think necessarily that it's happening so much on the larger platforms. Well, I don't don't even know what's larger these days, but uh, Facebook, for instance, you know, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I think Facebook... Did uh, issue a statement about it a few months ago saying that they would do their best to crack down on it. You know, of course, it's falls under the category of human trafficking. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, you know, it really is a phenomenon. And uh, I have I'm kind of wondering how this all plays out.
0: Let's go to Europe now and put our focus to Ukrainian refugees. And there was a, a shocking story of an Afghan security guard who was sexually assaulting Ukrainian children. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah, so uh, according to the UNHCR, they claim that approximately 6.5-ish UK- a million Ukrainians have left the country since the start of the conflict. They also say that over 2 million may have returned or have at least crossed back over the border. But what we have happening is this wave of refugees is now – Colliding with previous waves of migrants and or refugees that have already entered Europe, established themselves there in many cases, uh, especially during the 2015-2016 crisis, but that has continued onwards. doesn't get as much publicity, but migrants have continued pouring into Europe from other parts of the world. And what's happening now is they are encountering each other. And Ukrainian refugees, especially those who have left the country during this conflict, who are primarily going to be women and children Mm -hmm. are a lot different than the migrants who have been entering Europe in recent years, who primarily are males from the Middle East, from Southeast Asia, from Uh, from Africa as well. And so uh, that is not going well for many Ukrainians, sadly, uh, now that they're being mixed in with these populations or targeted by them. And so uh, we're seeing an increase uh, in stories. These are just the ones that come to our attention, Mm -hmm. but basically where uh, they're being preyed upon by, uh, the, the Ukrainians are being preyed upon by the other migrants that are already in Europe. So in many cases, this is happening for instance, in asylum centers where they're being mixed together. We just had a report come out today, actually. This is an interesting one. Uh, So we have migrants that are living in in an asylum center in Sweden. And the arriving refugees from Ukraine are being told, the women are being told, not to wear uh, any provocative clothing. And by provocative clothing, they just mean shorter shorts or blouses where the body can be seen are not welcome because it can provoke men from other cultures who also live at the asylum center. And that is a a big issue because now apparently migrants are being uh, overly provoked, uh, quote unquote. And a lot of times now um, Ukrainian refugees are being sexually assaulted by uh, by these migrants from other countries. And one of the most harrowing stories, because it really, in my mind, it summarizes uh, the inside-out nature of, of society at this point in the, in the Western world that has taken in these migrants from around the world who uh, their cultures do not gel well with ours. So this is a, this is a crazy one, but uh, at a, a center being uh, – has been basically purposed only for Ukrainian uh, refugees – they had an Afghan male, a 24-year-old Afghan male working security at the facility, and he was recently arrested for sexually assaulting six- and seven-year-old sisters from Ukraine at the facility. It's like you know, putting the fox in charge of the hen house uh, it perfectly summed up, and that is happening – in many cases, we we recently had um, a Ukrainian woman who was raped at an asylum facility in Dusseldorf that she was staying at. There was a, a Ukrainian girl who was raped, gang raped by four migrants in Austria at an asylum facility. There was a Ukrainian male who was sexually assaulted or raped by migrants at an asylum facility in Germany. So these stories are starting to come out, and it's and it's pretty horrific. Um, I'm sure that if you're a Ukrainian fleeing war and you end up in an asylum facility in in a nearby country, you probably don't expect to encounter these issues, but they are.
0: Dan Lyman, if people want to get more information on the work you're doing or follow these stories in greater depth, you certainly keep on top of it. How can they do that?
1: Well, definitely come over to borderhawk.news every day. Check the stories there. We're aggregating immigration stories from around the world on a daily basis. And you'll also be able to find out information about that documentary, American Mirage, which comes out tonight. You can follow us on Twitter and Gab Borderhawk News, or you can follow me on Twitter at Real Dan Lyman.
0: That concludes another edition of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com, where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time...